0: This podcast is brought to you by Fundreamer, a global crowdfunding platform focused on social good, promoting women and diversity-led projects. Keep everything you raise, cash out anytime, accepting 139 currencies plus Bitcoin with flexible crowdfunding timelines. Check it out at fundreamer.com. So I'm here with Esther Koo, who's a comedian. She's appeared on Last Comic Standing, MTV's girl Code, Wilding Out. She's often referred to as the Asian... Sarah Silverman, and she also has a really great podcast called "Cool in the Gang that you should go and download right now because it's really funny, and she interviews a lot of comedians. She's going to be on the podcast today talking about comedy, women, funding, and diversity, and probably anything else that's going to come up as it comes up. Uh, so the question that I always ask my guests is, uh, what was your dream as a
1: kid? Oh, uh, well, my dream as a kid, I mean, I don't know if I had dreams as a kid. it's called immigrant parents (laughs) they don't let you have dreams you're just supposed to like do this and do that they're not really so keen on dreaming
0: did you ever have a dream to not have immigrant parents
1: (laughs) yes when I watched sitcoms and they were all white I was like I want a white family (laughs) who like talk to each other and have these like nice moments and full house and You know, you always think that, like, everybody else has it better, especially when you're watching it through the lens of a TV screen.
0: So I'm an immigrant, too, right? I grew up in Moscow, and I moved here when I was 10.
1: Yeah, but I look more like an immigrant than you do, even though I was (laughs) born here.
0: (laughs) It's true, but, like, I moved here when I was 10, and then I have, like, a single mom and a grandma, so my life is also different from American life, right? Automatically. Yeah, I think it's interesting what you have as a dream and what your background is and what contributes to your dreams and what you're allowed to envision for yourself, right? Because it depends on, like, what you allow yourself to dream. When I was a kid, I wanted to be an anthropologist or I wanted to be an archaeologist. And my mom and grandma were like, please do not be an archaeologist. You're going to spend your whole entire life digging in some dirt. You're not going to find anything. Like, you're really creative let's just have you reading books and drawing, just just go be creative, which was really great because they supported my creativity. You know, I wasn't allowed to do anything besides be a kid, which in retrospect, I'm so grateful for.
1: Yeah, you're so lucky. I had to be a mother when I was a kid.
0: That's probably the reason why I don't have kids right now because I was allowed to just read a lot of books and be creative and express myself. I think that's what made me an entrepreneur, just being allowed to explore But what did you want to do as a little kid?
1: Well, I mean, I grew up in a super strict religious organization. So my dream as a kid was to save the world from eternal damnation.
0: Can we talk about that, please? Yeah,
1: sure. Like the church that I grew up in, they put this burden on you. Like you have to save your classmates from hell, basically, by bringing them to Bible study and to Jesus and to salvation and the truth and all that. so wow. Yeah.
0: So you were on a mission to save the world.
1: Well, to save uh, Jesus' lost souls, I guess, you know, to redirect people to a life of serving God.
0: <laughs> How many souls did you save?
1: Um, I don't even know if I even saved half a soul. I mean, I brought people to, like, Bible study and stuff, but it's hard to get them to stay because they did some weird stuff.
0: Did you want to stay for Jesus?
1: No, I mean like you lure them in with food and then you're like, surprise, Jesus is here. You know? So <laughs> you lure them in with friendship and like camaraderie, you know?
0: Jesus is really hot.
1: Um,
0: He's sexy. He's got those abs.
1: Well, those are just pictures. In real life, Jesus is actually a slob.
0: Was he? Doing? He was a little overweight. You think? So this got into, like, religious territory for a while, so let's bring this back into the comedy experience. You were on the last comic standing. What advice do you have for people who want to get into comedy?
1: Well, you know, it's funny because people think that you just get a manager, and, like, I need to get a manager, and, I, and then I could do stand-up comedy. It's like, no, you have to do stand-up and then get a manager. Right? Right. But people, there are a lot of people who want to do comedy. Actually, every year, all these, like, Comedy classes—they're filled. There's people who just want to do it just to like get their speaking chops up, you know. And but people—the um, way to do it is to just constantly go out every night and do comedy shows. Right, you it's have just to get out there to be at the comedy clubs, in the bars, in the restaurants that do comedy shows. Is to just constantly get out there.
0: Well, it's like the Beatles. The Beatles just worked their butts off. That's how they got really good. They were paid in booze and like women, so they just played all the little tiny English clubs, and that's what made them good. And then eventually they were able to step into a global stage. Like you don't just get up on a stage and are great. That rarely. Yeah, happens. you do.
1: Like the small tiny rooms, all over the place.
0: Yeah, and you build up an audience. And you
1: travel everywhere. And I remember like my first few roommates, like I think they hated that I did comedy because I wouldn't be like home in the evening to like watch TV with. You know, like when you're living with just one other girl, like they don't like it when you do comedy.
0: (laughs) I don't think anybody likes it when you do stuff. I think people become very resentful if you're doing stuff. So I don't think it's just comedy. I think it's like if you have other things that you're working on and you're focused, it makes other people feel bad because they're not doing enough. So it makes them resent you in a weird way.
1: Wow, that's so true. Unambitious people don't want to be exposed to ambitious people.
0: I think if you're ambitious, You want to be around people who are ambitious because they'll inspire you. I think it's okay to have dreams, and I think it's okay to be ambitious, and uh, especially as a woman. So, okay, so from a comedy club audience point of view, what do you see as the difference between male and female comedians?
1: From an audience point of view, you know what? The audience, they're used to more male comedians because there just are more male comedians than female comedians, but they, I think... They're so used to the male model of a comedian that sometimes when a female goes up, I feel like the room just sort of hushes and people are more tuned in because it's like, oh, okay, all right, another white guy comedian, another white guy comedian. Uh, Oh, oh my God, this person just looks different. They're the other sex. And so I think sometimes people sit on like closer on the edge of their seat sometimes, I find, when a woman is on stage because it's just so different.
0: That's interesting.
1: It's not the default. So I think as a female comedian, it's easier to grab the audience's attention because they're just like, oh, this is visually just... You know, I'm used to one, 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 and then we have zero here. Right. It's like
0: if you just present something that looks visually different, people kind of naturally just-
1: People naturally just perk up, so. That's interesting. So your material is considered
0: controversial, or it's claimed to be, which I think is rather silly.
1: (laughs) Rather silly. So I think it's really
0: interesting that a lot of people see you as a controversial woman because you talk about things like race and sex, which a lot of other comics talk about. And it's not that controversial, it's just controversial because it's coming from a cute little Asian girl.
1: You know, right, I never thought my material was controversial. I just did what I th- I find funny. And I think some people grow up in an environment where they don't make race jokes. Like, growing up in an immigrant family, race jokes are inevitable. We're constantly making fun of our parents for the way they talk. I made fun of my brother because he was born in Korea, and I was born in the U.S., and I was like, oh, I'm better than you, na-na-na-boo-boo. Boo. You know, so it, for us growing up like we were always making race jokes and in a church there's like ra- all kinds of races filipinos mexicans you know polish people italian people black people they would all come to the church so it was super like international so i feel like you know let me talk about race and i'm making fun of asians so it's like there's tons how many jewish comedians are there making fun of the jewish culture right oh hello probably all, all of them right <laughs>
0: which was fantastic and, and like she gets it <laughs>
1: You know what like Asians they think that like it's not good for them like they they get they get upset by the movie crash on the way that that Korean lady was portrayed in the movie it's one character in a movie but they're like they're like oh they portray Koreans in a certain way like maybe that's just that one lady you know that doesn't mean every Korean acts like that i think Asians always are so paranoid like we don't want americans to look at us like we're A certain way so we always have to be such a model minority and it's like it's okay if one of us fucks up and becomes a comedian and talks about her vagina on stage it's okay all right like there's tons of good asians who are doctors and who make good money and who you know went the right path it's all right it's not so embarrassing but they want to disown me they
0: do yeah you want to talk
1: about that a little bit more i mean Um, I mean, sure, why not?
0: I mean, do you really think they want to disown you? Do you have a large Asian following actually as an Asian?
1: No, I don't have a big Asian following. I don't The Asians who follow me are more like the punk rock Asians who have sort of like you know denounced their parents' heritage like I have. <laughs> You know, or the ones who like break apart, like because a lot of Asians can be really just like stick to their own kind and they're only friends and they only marry other Koreans or other Japanese people or something like that. They can be like a clique.
0: Well, I think all religions are like a clique. You know, you're very diverse because you speak Korean. You also speak fluent Spanish, obviously fluent English. So you really bop around different cultures and you have that global awareness where a lot of people are just, you know, white people speaking English, hanging out with their white friends. And you have also African-American communities who are very insular as well, as well as Asian communities, as well as Mexican. It's just comfortable to be around people your own way because it's what you know and it's easy. But you realize that once you get out there and you become friends with all these different cultures and all these different people, it's just really fun because everybody is the same. At the end, everybody has the same values and everybody has maybe a different outlook on life um, in some regards. It just takes effort to get to know other people and be open to other cultures. And either you take that initiative... Or you
1: don't? Well, I think it has to do a lot with people's childhoods also. If you grew up in a super insular, in some town, little town in Wisconsin where it's all white people, it's hard to go out there and be like, I'm going to go make a black friend, right? Because there are no black people there. It's all cheeseheads, you know? So I think I grew up in a super, like, diverse way because we just recruited everybody Mm
0: -hmm.
1: in the church. Although they would give you more points if you were like North American, like blonde hair, blue eyes.
0: Oh my God. Yeah, like
1: you would get more points than if you brought like a Mexican or a Filipino to the church. So
0: so messed up. Was there like a star system, like a chart where you get like a golden star? That's so messed up, Coe.
1: I mean, there were charts for like how many books in the Bible you read, but that chart existed in our heads. Yeah, definitely.
0: So how did you leave the church?
1: Well, you know how I left is I was 17 years old. And when you're a 17-year-old girl, you don't like anybody telling you what to wear. Right? (laughs) Anybody who tells you what to wear is the enemy. So mom and dad, any teachers were like, Stop hiking your skirt up and for me it was the church and they would tell me what to wear. And I went to uh, a prayer meeting one time with this tie-dye t shirt on and they freaked out. They were like, What the devil's gotten into her? But it was the
0: devil wears tie-dye, by the way. That's the yeah. one wardrobe choice.
1: But this was like oh, my this was my chemistry project and I was like just proud to wear it and it was colorful and it was fun. And they freaked out, they shoved me in the bathroom, and we're like, We have to put on we have to give her a blouse to wear. She's wearing a sinful shirt. Whoa. And I was just like looking at myself in the mirror, like, what am I doing? Why am I letting these people tell me what to wear? I want to wear whatever I want to wear. Cause I didn't know the implications of like the drug culture to tie dye and everything. So I just was like, this is my science project. And after that day, I was just like, I'm not going to let anybody tell me what to wear and what not to wear. And I just vowed to myself. I'm like, if that's what this requires to like stay in this church, then I'm out.
0: Your colorfulness was coming through and it was not gonna be stifled. You literally were like, I'm gonna shine with every freaking color of tie-dye under the rainbow. Yeah,
1: I mean, I'm kind of embarrassed that it took me so long. Like I was 17 when I left. I remember going uh, dress shopping with my Bible teacher and I was buying a graduation dress and she wouldn't let me buy anything that was flattering on me. If I put it on and we were in the dressing room, and it like showed off my hips or something she'd be like no 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 like because you're supposed to like cover up your body and not try to like tempt boys into liking you when you're in your 20s you just it's just constant bombarding it's just constant
0: bombarding walking down the street in the morning being in the grocery store
1: and then guys will get mad that like we didn't respond or we're not really like into them but they gotta understand that, like, we get hit up so much,
0: get like up so much. And wait, you got that crazy text message that we were talking about yesterday, which was hilarious. Which is a prime example of men hitting on us and us training them down in a nice way.
1: Oh, I'm not nice about it. I enjoy being not nice about it.
0: Oh my God, that text message <laughs> yesterday was hilarious. You were reading it out loud, and I was on the floor laughing because it was ridiculous.
1: Yeah, no, this comedian was texting me. He was like, "Hi, how are you?" And I'm like, "Okay, is there something you want? Like, are you, you know, like I, I don't have time to be frivolously texting like this just to check up." And he started going off like, "You're being a cunt, and you're such a bitch," and. I'm just like, what? What is it to- you want? What are you texting me for? I'm in the middle of a million things, right?
0: And you get called the C word by not even like re- doing anything.
1: I texted him, like, you're, you're mistaking my funniness for cuntiness.
0: I think it's so funny that men expect things out of us. And they always want to be in control. The minute we assert individuality, they're not really happy with it. It's like they want everything on their terms because they're giant children. And it's never a compromise. It's like, you text me now. You come
1: over now. And they never buy enough groceries. Like when I go grocery shopping, I spend like $300 and I buy food for the whole week and I plan meals and I have fruit and beverages and everything, right? I'm thorough.
0: Stop doing that. Stop enabling.
1: When guys go grocery shopping, they buy, like, one loaf of bread and one carton of milk and one box of cereal.
0: (laughs) So you start buying one carton of milk. You start doing that and see what they do. Because you know what? You're enabling them to, like, keep on creating the same behavior over and over and over again. And I think as women, we are enablers in a weird way. We Like, if you treat us a little shitty, we might let you treat us a little shitty because it already happened once and we like you enough to just, like look the other way and go okay well maybe this won't happen again and like so it sets up behavior patterns which you should not acknowledge
1: i didn't know this was uh turning into a therapy session for me how much how much do i owe you dr yulia this
0: is a therapy session for me because (laughs) i'm talking about this and i'm figuring this out for myself because i think i'm myself an enabler in a lot of different you know friendships relationships work things there's a lot of stuff like that but let's talk about diversity again so you cross over many cultures Right, you speak English, Korean, Spanish. You just did a show at the Fires Club the other day, and then you sold out the Apollo Theater the next night. What's the difference between an urban comedian and, like, a suburban comedian? Let's just call them suburban comedians. Suburban comedians, including, you know, Jerry Seinfeld, Louis C.K., Amy Schumer. You know, why don't most actors cross over? Why aren't there actors who kind of, like, are in between? Like, you're an in-between actor, right? You go from both worlds.
1: Um. Well, I go... I go to both worlds because I think the urban comedy scene the the audiences are just lit.
0: Yes, they are, aren't they? You know, they? yeah, so like it's good.
1: just it's just so it's the energy is just so much higher.
0: They actually feel things.
1: Whereas you do the mainstream comedy circuit and like they're nice and yeah, they give you applause and stuff, but they're not like howling, laughing, like dying, keeling over their chairs, laughing, you know? Yeah. So that's why I like oscillating between both of them.
0: It's fun, right? I like hanging out with people who enjoy themselves. you got to have fun in life. A lot of people don't let themselves have fun. So do you think that comedy can bring people together and create a better world?
1: Um, I think comedy definitely helps people take a break from reality, you know? Like when you're constantly seeing all the bad news who got killed and who got shot on the news like comedy helps lessen that this constant bombardment now we see news everywhere like on Facebook on Twitter on any any app you go you're bound to see a headline 394 killed and this this and that and so it's just a constant bombardment of like negative information that it's really hard to take in all that you know and to say holy shit like what the fuck this world seems like it's like coming to an end sometimes when you just are focused on the news and I think comedy lets people take a break from that reality and lets us laugh and enjoy you know stuff that we can all relate to they should be paying us more is what i'm basically saying more than journalists
0: well, journalists don't make that much money to begin with. We're journalists. We don't invest enough in the education of our society, so we don't invest in the things that actually do good. Most of our taxes go to war. I mean, frankly, if we start looking at it that way. I want to talk a little bit more about funding. I'm not even sure how to phrase this question, but when it comes to funding, Amy Schumer just made the top five comedian list. I think it's the top five, right?
1: First female.
0: First female, yes, as a woman. I think she just made $17 million. The top is Kevin Hart. I think he tops it at like 87 mil
1: seinfeld is somewhere in between
0: what do you think it's like to get funding as a woman you know for shows and everything like that how do you get to amy schumer level
1: well you should be asking her that (laughs) i'm so on this level um i guess you're just constantly having to put invest in yourself you know, constantly meeting people, constantly introducing yourself to people and not being shy of, oh, I'm writing all these jokes and I'm performing nonstop. Bam, 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 bam. And then you forget about the business side. And if you just look at some communities that are so talented, like if they had just like a little bit more business sense, they would be killing it, right?
0: Right. It's so true because it's a fine line between creating content and getting the content out there. It's like you need a promotional company, you need somebody else doing it for you because You should be focusing on your craft and just producing your craft, and then somebody should be helping you. Just pump it out there, like a really good manager. What advice do you have for using technology to propel your brand?
1: Um, I guess just not be afraid of technology. Like whenever something new comes out, I check it out and see. Like okay, well, all right, there's Snapchat out, and I like Snapchat, and it's fun and it's fun to do the filters, but for me, I like Periscope better because it allows you to be on for more than nine seconds. And if I'm gonna communicate with my followers, then I'd rather do it in long form and be like, hey, what's it, and be able to sit there for 10 minutes and talk to them and give them an update or teach them how to make a key lime pie or whatever. Uh, write a new song with them use technology a lot to get your comedy out there like what advice
0: do you have for people who are branding uh, building a brand
1: i think just utilizing all the stuff that's out there now it's incredible what what we have at our fingertips and just to like play around with cameras and not be afraid of like getting in front of the camera because at first i was telling you how i went to china and i was like you know i went to china and did a show a couple years ago i never even took video footage of me there What was I thinking, right? But I also just was like scared to get in front of the camera and start talking. And now with Periscope, I've been Periscoping for a while now, and I'm so, it's just natural to me now with with lots of practice. So I think at first, everybody's awkward on live video, and it takes them getting used to because you're like, ah,
0: they can see everything I'm doing. In the end it's about creating human connections. I'm actually kinda nervous doing this podcast, putting myself out there and doing all the stuff that I'm doing, but it's kind of my mission of life and this is what I was born to do and this is what I'm good at. This is actually what I'm enjoying. Once you find something that you love, the love will overcome the fear, whatever fear you might have. Because you have a passion for it.
1: And you just get better at it. So what is your wildest dream? Start a sexual revolution. <laughs>
0: Do you want to teach people how to be better lovers?
1: Um, Well, you know, I talk about masturbation and sex and role-playing and having sex on stage very openly. Mm -hmm. So I've just always, um, you know, since I grew up so repressed, I just want to, um, I don't know, just make it so not taboo. Like, why does it have to be so taboo? Like there's tons of guys who go up on stage and tell dick jokes the minute a female does it all the guys are like well that's all they do is jokes about their vagina it's like you guys have been doing jokes about your dicks for centuries and that's our correlating body part to your penis so
0: and those parts are really funny
1: yeah it's funny to talk about it and to be you know so open about it because there's tons of stuff about vaginas that the world has yet to still learn about
0: this is really controversial to bring back to religion you know that uh, the Virgin Mary is supposed to look like the vagina. She represents the holy divine, which is the divine feminine. So apparently it goes back to the pagan days and stuff like that. But if you look at her, she's got, like, a little hood, and she has a little shroud, and she looks like labia.
1: She looks like a vagina.
0: Yeah, but, like, you know, she's glorious, literally. Like, our vaginas are the pathway to
1: life. Does she wear pink? I always saw her in white. She should wear pink or purple.
0: But back to the sexual revolution, like, what is your dream?
1: Well my dream is that's such a tough question isn't it yes
0: but you know what it's good to visualize it and it's good to not overthink it and just spit out whatever is at the top of your head my acting teacher is really great i have like a few and she used to be a new york city detective and she used to say every time you say you don't know that's a total lie you have to say the first thing that's at the top of your head because that's the truth you always know You just don't want to admit it sometimes.
1: Yeah, sometimes it's embarrassing to admit to people publicly what your dream is.
0: Right?
1: Yeah. But the more people you tell, the better it will be for you.
0: And the more people will support it because they might have the same dream.
1: You know, because when I I got laid off from my day job, Mm -hmm. I used to sell pens. And when I got laid off, I wrote a letter to all of my customers And I wrote, sadly, I'm being laid off and I'm going to move to New York to pursue my dream of being a comedian. And like, I didn't have to write that in there. I could have just said, the company's moving in a different direction. They're getting rid of their sales force. You have to order from the catalog now. But I decided to put that in there as my way of announcing to the world that I'm going to be a comedian. And I think that just helped me get my subconscious mind in order to go after what I wanted to go after
0: thoughts are things I usually don't say anything unless I 100% mean it if I say I love you I'm 100% devoted and I mean it and I know what that word means if I say I love you I am very specific with that word
1: you got that from that book
0: I did. I love that book. I actually want everyone to read it. That's the number one book. I think that book has changed my life. The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. And I give it out to all my best friends. And it has um, the four agreements, which are really simple, which is number one, be, be impeccable with your word. Number two, don't take anything personally. And once you start doing that, your whole entire life is gonna change because you realize not everything is about you. Usually it's about the other person. It's not even you.
1: That's not- what I tell people when they submit a complaint to me saying, You're so mean. You know what? I have so many guys coming up to me all the time. You're so mean. I'm like I'm just being funny. I'm just ripping on you, right?
0: Well, you know what? It's whatever somebody hates in you is a reflection of what they hate in themselves. So if a person tells me something, they're like, oh, I don't like you because you are too bossy," or, you know, you're natural enough or whatever it is. It's not me. It's a reflection of whatever that person is not comfortable with. Themselves that I, in a weird way, bring up to them as a mirror, so I'm not gonna sweat it Number three is don't make assumptions because you never know what the hell is going on ever And number four is always do your best Every project I approach, I try to do my best You know, sometimes my best isn't good enough, but it's okay Like, we can't be 100% all the time
1: Well, but the best is subjective
0: What is your dream?
1: Well, my dream is to be the funniest comedian that I can be That's always been my dream since I was probably in high school, I cut out, like, a picture of Jim Carrey walking the red carpet with his wife, and I cut out a picture of my face and put it on her face. Because to me, in my head, I was like, Jim Carrey is, like, the funniest comedian back when I was 17 years old.
0: So, yeah, go here's to dreams and letting yourself dream big.
1: You gotta be like Harold in the purple crayon. He didn't let anything get in his way of dreaming. He just took his purple crayon and he drew whatever he wanted to create and he flew away in a boat and he sailed in the moonlight. He just created his own world. That's what you gotta do. I love that book, Road Doll.
0: Road Doll is amazing, right? Thank you so much for being on my podcast. You are a rock star.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And you're also a brilliant friend. And I love you to infinity and back. Thanks for tuning into the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Dream Nation Love. It's not Dream Nation Podcast. It's Dream Nation Love. Because I think my single mission in life is to teach people how to love a little bit more. And together we can save the world. So it's Dream Nation Love share it with your friends, have a great day, and go out and make the world a better place.